start spreading the news. I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboy fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, team. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face. Oh, Brooklyn. Hey, is it This is a presentation of Northeast Streaming Sports. It just might be the greatest sports franchise in the history of sports. A place where legends are made and there's always something to talk about. Get ready to immerse yourself in pinstripes. Start spreading the news. Hosted by Paul Semendinger and E.J. Fagan. A couple of doctors with a prescription for Yankee fever. And now, here's Dr. Paul Semendinger and Dr. E.J. Fagan. Get ready to start spreading the news. Well, listen, somebody had to start classing up this whole thing. So there's nothing more classy than wearing a suit and a baseball hat and earphones. And so somebody had to do it, and I figured it had to be me. EJ, it's been a busy day. I was uh, education consulting. I was teaching my class. I had a dinner meeting with some friends and then rushed here to uh, be part of our wonderful podcast. Didn't even have time to change my clothes. How are you? Doing wonderful. I also taught my classes today, but I did it in uh, flannel and hokas, uh, which is my typical uh, class teaching uniform. And I am very, very happy about uh, with that. Yeah, you know, I'm older than you, and 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 you know, the the older generation, <laughs> I still wear a suit when I go teach. I'm probably the last of a dying breed, but I do. And I, like I say, I'm an education consultant also. And when I go to into the schools, I so I try to dress like. I guess somebody from 1947 or something. I don't know, but I do wear sneakers with my suits. I, I haven't worn dress shoes except for special occasions like weddings and things like that in, in a very long time. So anyway, we got we've got some Yankee news, some Yankee perspectives, some Yankee ideas, and Yankee complaining to do for the next hour or so. And so, should we jump right in? Let's do it. All right. Last week, you had an article you wrote on your. Um, Substack page. I wrote on start spreading the news uh, of my frustration, your frustration with the Yankee press conferences. It in 45, 45,000 words or less, just share your perspective of Hal's and Brian Cashman's <clears throat> media sessions. I mean, I think Steinbrenner's was a very normal media session, right? They had a bad season. He said they had a bad season. Let's fix things, right? It wasn't. You didn't say much specific, but you wouldn't expect to have an owner. It's not really his job uh, other than maybe to say, you know, we're going to spend money or, or we're going to fire Brian Cash. But there, there's nothing else you would say as an owner other than what he said, um, which is what made Brian Cashman's press availability. It was weird because it was, it was in a weird setting, right? Apparently all the GMs just kind of like lined up on the street at the GM meetings and they all did interviews outside. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was, it was pretty weather, but uh, very odd. Um, but it was really striking to see to see Cashman kind of come out swinging the way he did. Um, Remember, this is a family show, so just be careful with the language. Yeah, no freaking. Uh, I think he thinks we're pretty freaking good. You know, I. It was a choice by Cashman to do it that way, right? I mean, that, that's you don't open your press conference dropping an f bomb by accident. 
um, especially if you're someone who's as well-trained as someone like Brian Cashman is. And yeah, I didn't really care. The, I mean, some people were making uh, like a lot about the fact that he decided to use a curse word, which I don't think is a big deal. But I, I think I think what he was signaling was that he was defending his front office and that he doesn't think that there are major errors to be corrected. If you listen to the whole press conference, he does admit that there's changes that need to be made. But the impression is, is that we're talking about tweaks, not wholesale change. And um, on one hand, on the one hand, I mean, we, we've talked about in the show, we think we both think he's wrong. Um, but on the other hand, I don't see why you would expect the incumbent GM of 30 years to start making radical changes. Right? That's just not, he's been which around. Is, which yeah. is a reason why he should be gone. I agree. But, I, but I'm just saying, like, as long if he's not gone, like, I don't think we, this, that, that's kind of the signal you would expect. Um, I, there was a couple of exchanges with reporters. If you want to talk about specifics, I'll, I'll let you get, get your general impressions out first that I was a little struck by. Um, but I think the big, the big message, the big picture message was nothing to see here. You know, we got a little unlucky with injuries. Um, you know, we're going to make some small changes, but mostly we're okay. Right. And which, which to me shows how out of touch he is. I, I thought, I thought both of them were lacking in different ways. Yankees management, Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman haven't talked to the media in whatever amount of weeks it was, five or six weeks, these are people that know what they're doing. They have had years, decades of working with the media. And so you can't go into these things cold without a plan, right? If you're doing that, there's something wrong with the organization that you're not planning what you're going to say to the media. So if, if, if you just are flying by the seat of your pants, that's a problem. And if you advised, asked your advisors what they think of your either of your approaches, I think they would have said, yeah, not so great. I mean, the only thing Hal Steinbrenner could offer was this absurd idea that, well, Aaron Boone's a great manager because I asked a couple of people and everybody who I asked said he's a great manager, which I also wrote that usually in an organization, if everybody agrees, that's a problem, right? You want, you want good disagreement. And when your point is that we all agree he's a great manager, I think that's a problem. And then the idea that, well, Aaron had a great idea. Aaron's great idea is that we're going to bunt more. Like, where's Willie Willie Keeler and and and, and the, the Yankees or the Highlanders of 1904 or something? It's just the whole thing was bizarre. And then Brian Cashman being defiant and swearing and arguing. I think it was with Joel Sherman who asked, like, you haven't really developed anybody. Yes, we have. And there's no I mean, that, that for, was the exchange that struck me. It, it, like there was no room for Peraza to play. There's no room. Well, you made the roster, buddy. That's your team. If there's no room and you think he should play, that means you did a bad job. No. Well, and also the prospects did not get zero playing time. They had a long stretch of time to show what they had. And almost all of them played basically every day as soon as they came up. And other than Jason Dominguez for a week, they were abject failures. And that's what the question was about. It wasn't about whatever, Oswaldo Cabrera or something. Um, and it wasn't about Anthony Volpe. And, and, and he had this insistence that Volpe was a success. He, he like smart-assed back at the at Joel Sherman being like, what about Volpe? Huh? He's going to win the gold glove. And he's like, yeah, but he can't hit. And I think that's, I think that's very true. And I think it it jives with the criticisms that, I mean, Cashman indirectly addressed these criticisms, 
that we got out of guys like Ben Ruda coming out of the Yankee farm system that the Yankees are teaching a brand of hitting that doesn't translate to the majors. And I think we got a really strong data point at the end of last season when a lot of guys' brand of hitting didn't translate to the majors. Every one of those guys they called up hit well to great at AAA. And one of them hit for a week before he got injured in Jason Dominguez. And he, uh, you know, he did. He confronted Ruda, basically calling him a failure. And isn't it interesting that a guy who's a failure in our organization and another organization had these criticisms? But logically, right, you, you, this makes all the sense in the world. Ruda's failure or not as a baseball player is entirely disconnected has nothing to do with his criticism of the approach of the Yankees, correct? Hey, look, if they were graduating players that were being successful major league hitters, yeah, like like go after the the criticism as a bad criticism, but they're not. Right. Um, but, and- but 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 but, but the, to make an argument that you stink so you can't criticize us is is So is like a- I here's what I'll say. Any organization, company, whatever is going to have disgruntled employees. And those disgruntled employees are going to come up with reasons why the organization is not doing well. So like, I kind of understand that's kind of what he is saying. He's like, yeah, well, this guy was disappointed because he didn't, wasn't a major league baseball player, but he doesn't have any evidence to point to the contrary, right? The, the, I mean, the correct way would to, to you know, the, the better argument, if he could say it would be like, well, you know, we graduated three hitters to the majors last year and they all seem to do well. So, you know, this approach is working, Correct. which is not like the problem is, is the facts are against him. And the Correct. fact the fact is, is that the Yankee farm system has been unable to translate success in the minors to success in the majors. Um, you know, Florial is the name we haven't been talking about a lot, but I think he's just another example of this. I think, you know, we, we've kind of gone back and forth between they should call him up. He's a failure. You know, that I think we can say he's a failure at this point. I, I don't think his, his success in the minors is translating to the majors. Today, this year, AAA, he did really well, but AAA because of the robo-umps they were using, I think is not a good barometer um, for minor league success. Um, but Florial was still successful before this year, just not nearly as much, was successful at double-A, was their number one prospect for a few years. I, you know, I, I, I just think the evidence shows that the Yankees are developing low batting average, low OPS hitters, and who occasionally run into one. I don't think it's because they're not professional hitters. I think I think they're all good athletes. It seems like they all they all like you know Everson Pereira, Oswaldo Peraza, Anthony Volpe, mostly they they look like major league players. They're they're not bad athletes coming out of the minors. They're professionals. They're acting like professionals. They don't seem like they have an attitude problem. I think they've just been coached badly, and I think that the evidence is pretty strong there. And the most concerning thing, I I, I didn't real I wasn't that concerned about Cashman coming out and being and defending his front office. That's kind of what you got to do to some extent. You can't be like, yeah, all these guys suck if you're not going to fire them. Um, and so to some of that, I understand. And I do think that that he gets, unlike, say, Aaron Boone, oh, maybe to some extent Aaron Boone, but lesser than Aaron Boone, he does have a little bit of like built-up credit he can spend and say, like, yeah, it didn't work this season, but I know what I'm doing. I, I, I do think Cashman still has some claim to that. But he doesn't have any claim to minor league stuff, right? Brian Cashman, through his entire career as a GM, has graduated fewer minor league players than I can put on count on both of my hands. That's minor correct. league hitters. That, and that yeah. is very, very bad. I mean, just I, when we're looking at some of the like, trade candidates we've been talking about here, it is striking how many teams have a surplus of young players 
who have brought up more young players than they can find spots for, but have still hit them in the, in the minors. There's some guys that are failures on teams like Dylan Carlson on the Cardinals, who has played himself out of, out of a spot, who had been the third best hitter in the Yankees last year. Right, That's telling you that there is something wrong about the Yankees. The Yankees are doing something wrong. They have perfectly good athletes who are turning into non-factors at the major league level because of their development philosophy. And until Brian Cashman can say that out loud, um, I, I don't think anything is going to change. And I, I think that I, I think everything else Cashman does is defensible in some way. Um, yeah, I think that the Yankees, you know, you know, we can think about free agent signings they haven't taken up. Some of those they may be better off for not having taking up trades they haven't done. Like I, I have confidence in basically everything else Brian Cashman does to some extent. I have zero confidence in their player development system and haven't for a decade. If Aaron Judge doesn't just become the monster that he is, I think that his record over the last 10 years starts to look awful, as in worst in the majors by far awful. Um, and he got, I think he got lucky with Aaron judge. I don't see any reason to believe that that is a reproducible, um, uh, feat, something that is a sign of things to come. I think Aaron judge is just a special person. And that is that, and that has made Ryan Cashman look really good over the last six years. The outlier does not define the rest of the clientele. And I think they've been trying. I think they they said like, oh, Aaron Judge, he does a few things well. He might strike out a lot, but he can hit the ball 120 miles an hour, right? To me, that is that is what they've been trying to reproduce. It's why they don't seem that concerned about John Carl Stanton. It's why they were happy with Josh Donaldson. You know, the, the, this type of player, Joey Gallo, um, they've been trying to reproduce it. But there's only one Aaron Judge. He is a special player. He is more athletic than half of those guys. He he is has the ability to take walks, to hit for average. He's just that good. And, and I don't think you can use him as a model. And it, it's clear that they haven't had any other successes since Aaron Judge. I mean, Glaber Torres is your only other one, but he was barely developed by the Yankees and has right. had a mixed career at times. You know, I, I don't think bad, but mixed at times and has been a, a, a qualified success. Qualified, yes. Uh, one other thing on Cashman, and then I just we, we got to talk about this bunting nonsense, um, especially since the Yankees just announced who their hitting coach is uh, for next year. But anyway, Cashman saying, you know, our analytics team is smaller than any other team. Very strange like, comment. Yeah. And who cares? Right. Yeah. Like, you, if, if, well, we, we have we have. 500 some odd people in the house of representatives and a hundred people in the Senate and we have a Supreme court and you have a president and all that. That's a lot of people, but there are certain players in the government that are the power players, right? That, 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 that wield a whole lot of power. So the amount of people in the organization doesn't mean anything. If you have one or two people that are making all the decisions, you could have two people in your analytics department and it's still dysfunctional. Right. I mean, I, I think this is just bizarre. a really dumb debate. And I, I, I assume, and I don't listen to a lot of New York talk, uh, sports talk radio. You I assume he, Chicago. Exactly. Well, and, and I'm saying, but I, I, I suspect that he's responding to that kind of thing. That, that the, the simplified discussion about the Yankees failing has simplified down to the Yankees have too much analytics and we need less analytics. And I think that's a dumb way to think about this. I, I don't think that's at all. The problem is not too much analytics. It's the, the problem, wrong analytics. Right. It, it's they're, they're making bad decisions. And we have seen this, their decision-making process. I've read a bunch of blog posts about this. We've seen their decision-making process do things poorly. 
And so I don't, you know, maybe they need more analytics. Maybe they need better people working, you know, in working in different processes. I just don't think more or less tells you anything. It's not, it's not a way to think about things. It's the dumbest, Um, yeah, it's a dumb argument. It doesn't matter how many people are in the department. They have not trained an AI to make their decisions for them. Okay, great. Right. Like, like that. But, but again, I think he was actually responding to something specific as my guess. I just don't know what it specifically is. I see, you know, one clip of, uh, of a Michael K, you know, hits my YouTube feed every two weeks, and that's about my exposure to 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 local to, to local New York sports radio. So I, I'll defend him on that because I think he's he's, no, I, I he's just a think dumb. The was dumb. He has a dumb response to a dumb debate, right? Um, the problem is the reporters weren't asking him the right questions. They never right? did. Well, I mean, the question the question I would have asked him, uh, and this would go back to uh, a year ago, and after the 2022 playoffs, I would have asked him, "How do you come to the decision?" that Isaiah kainer falefa is the right shortstop on day one, that Oswaldo Peraza is the right shortstop on day two, and God, I can't remember the third the third shortstop of, of that of that week, um, but I forget whoever it was, was the right shortstop on day three. How do you come to that decision? Right, That, that to me is a question worth asking um, because I think it would tell you about the Yankees' decision-making process. I think their decision-making process is bad. And I think it's clearly bad. And I think there's lots of other things that they're not doing well. Um, but I think that there's there that I, I think that the, you need to have, we need to ask smarter questions of Brian Cashman the one time he's going to make himself available to press. And I think that the media largely failed that. In Brian Cashman's defense, I'm not defending him, but for most of these pressers, now granted they've been at Yankee Stadium and they've mm-hmm. been arranged and they've been sitting on the Dias or the Dias, however you pronounce it, him and Steinbrenner, you know, and last year they had Judge there and blah, blah, blah. Um, is most of the questions that have been lobbied at him have been softballs? They've been lobs. They've been just, oh, yeah, well, what do you think's going to happen? Are you going to be active? And this year they were more direct and maybe yeah. that took him off guard. Well, I mean, this year he's coming off a failure of a season. I, I mean, last year, it didn't end the way we wanted it to end, but they made the playoffs. They won a lot of games and, you know, I wish they had gone into the playoffs healthier and this season, everything collapsed and they had one of their worst seasons ever. So yeah, I also, I, I, I couldn't help watch that playoffs and think that Cashman's getting internal criticism as well. Well, that was, that, a, that, that, that's a, that's a belief that one of our uh, commenters on start spreading the news seems to have is he thinks, yeah, he was defensive and angry because he was called to the carpet by the boss and said, if this continues, you're done, buddy. Maybe, and maybe he wanted to make a show of going out there with some anger and some emotion. Um, I don't think it worked out. I I also, you know, uh, one thing, and we've talked a lot about kind of like after game press conferences and that kind of stuff on on this show. I just never really put a lot of faith in the PR of this. You know, some, on a, on a normal day, you have to say something. And, you know, maybe it was a tough loss. You know, Aaron Boone's not going to come out. Yeah, I don't play. watch post-game these, these guys talk. They say nothing. Um, they talk to say nothing. Yeah. And Cashman will often say, you know, not a lot mid-season, you know, that kind of thing. But this end of the season press conference, like, I actually think we learned a little bit. But we learned that the Cashman doesn't think that, that there's a lot wrong to be fixed. And that he generally believes in the organization, that the organization is doing things well. And I just don't think that's true. And, yeah. and I think that the Yankees... You know, look, the Yankees are more competent than some organizations. I think Brian Cashman is not the worst GM in Major League Baseball. But I also think that, you know, if I were if I were Hal Steinbrenner, 
I'd say, I think I can do better. And, and to me, that's, that's the question. Can the Yankees do better? The Yankees could have had several very big GMs that changed jobs this year. Tampa Bay's bricks changed jobs this year. He was available. Dave uh, uh, Stearns was available. He went to the Mets. They could have changed managers this year. Nine major league teams changed their managers this year. It is unusual the amount of stability the Yankees have at manager. They could have done that and had plenty of guys available to them. Um, you know, they eventually finally got a hitting coach. We can kind of talk about where this ended. Um, but it's not like this is a mid-season spot where you have to pick a Sean Casey because no one's available. They had they could have had their pick of very good, they could have had Craig Council that the, the Cubs fired David Ross, who they liked, to go and get Craig Council. That was an option to them, and they did not take it. Um, they instead decided to, to stick with Aaron Boone, and they decided to stick with Brian Cashman. And I think they're going to regret it. Uh, maybe a year from now we're having the same conversation. I hope not. Um, but it's not a great spot for the Yankees right now. And, and you know, I, I think there's some fun offseason moves we can talk about. I, I don't think – I think by no means are the Yankees out of it for next year. There is a lot of talent on this roster, and there's a world where they can be very successful. Um, but I think it would require some like wholesale changes to things like coaching that I, I just don't see coming. Right. I, I there there is a path to success in 2024. I also don't see it going uh, in that direction. So the Yankees hired uh, James Rosen mm -hmm. to be the hitting coach. One first big concern is he's no stranger. I'm reading this off of Major League Baseball trade rumors. No stranger to the Yankee organization. Spent nine years as a minor league hitting coach and minor league hitting coordinator. I don't think the Yankees hitting approach has been good for a long time. And it seems like he's part of that same group. And then it reads, uh, perhaps the most notable thing on his resume was his third and final season in Minnesota when he was the hitting coach for a Twins roster that set a major league record with 307 home runs on the season. The year of the Twins' Bama squad, as they were nicknamed, coincided with MLB's juiced ball season, but it was nonetheless an impressive season for the lineup and one for which Rosen drew plenty of credit. Now, how does that correlate with this idea that the Yankees are now going to stress bunting? You bring in a guy who's a long ball proponent. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I still think it's kind of the, the bunting thing is just a little silly. Um, there was some news report that the Yankees stopped practicing bunting a few years ago. And of course, like you got to practice things. You got to practice some stuff like bunting just because the situations still do come up even today. Um, I don't, I didn't think I was, I think I was just a silly talking point. Let me tell you why I, I think Ross is an okay hire. I'm uncertain because you're right. It's not like he's someone who's, it's not like they're hiring, you know, you know, Mark McGuire from the Cardinals or something, right? Somebody with a long history of of um, of being a, a hitting coach, but he has a a lot of experience. You know, one thing that we talked about when we talked about Sean Casey was the problem was that he didn't have any None. experience as a hitting coach. You know, so this is not a guy coming from say college baseball or driveline or something like that. And it's also not just a former player who you know some people think might end up being a good hitting coach, and 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 you can roll the dice there. Um, he's been playing. He's been on a lot of teams. He has had some success. He has been promoted. So he's been a bench coach. He's been a hitting coach. He's been an assistant hitting coach. He was a he minor league a, coordinator. He has, for nice the Yankees. Enough, he has a nice enough resume. I, I, I just think I, his, his philosophy, if it's based upon we'll see the what Yankees approach, is in a great philosophy. Well, I mean, look, he hasn't been with the Yankees for a long time. And the Yankees made a major change at the time that he left. And that major change was the Dylan Lawson hiring. Mm -hmm. And so essentially Lawson 
was replacing a group of people, including James Rosen. I'm sorry, Lawson Rosen. That's going to be confusing, right? Um, and so if you want to go back to that kind of old school approach, the approach that, you know, Marcus Thames was in the minors during that period of time, um, you know, coaching in the minors, I think he was the double A hitting coach when judge was there. Um, they, they did graduate some successful players at, at that time. I mean, if you, I don't think he was, I think he overlapped with Torres for one year, but he's with judge. He was with, with Gary Sanchez. Um, you know, some guys who were less successful, but I think were still, you know, pretty strong prospects and failed for other reasons, like injuries, like Greg bird. Um, you had Tyler Austin was there with them. So there, I think there was more coming out of the minors at this time. It's not a long record of success, but with a hitting coach, it's, it's hard to tell, right? I, I don't, I don't think we have any real way to judge this from the outside. I think it's good that they went with a low profile guy. Yes. He has Yankee connections, but he's not, they didn't hire Mark Teixeira, right? They didn't hire, um, Sean Casey, a friend of Aaron Boone's, right? They they hired a, a coach and a coach who I suspect is pretty well respected among people in baseball and among his former teams. So that's about all you got. And I think, you know, you let's wait to hear what he what his you know thoughts are on the future of the Yankees. And I think we have to wait to kind of see spring training and see what changes we see. Well, ho- hopefully he he teaches bunting. Anyway, bizarre. It's bizarre that you would say those words, unless he just went rogue, Hal Steinbrenner. Like, I got a great idea. This will really appease the fan base. We're going to say bunting. Because I just can't, I can't I, I'm just picturing him sitting in the office with Mark Levine and Lon Trost and Brian Cashman and, and, and the whole group. And they're sitting there like, all right, all right, Hal, what are you going to say? I've got it. What? Why don't I say we'll do more pitch outs? No, no, don't go with more pitch outs. That's a bad idea. That That doesn't make any sense. What about bunting? Yeah, yeah. Everybody will buy it. Then you get a hitting coach. There's nothing to do with bunting. It's just, I, think, I think it's a little silly, but I, I just again, I think I think he's responding to silly claims, right? With it's just silly they, they just don't. You know, you want your organization to seem like they have a real plan and they know what they're doing, and the, at least what they're saying makes sense. And, and you just don't get that. But let's let's talk about some potential players that have been rumored to come to the Yankees. Yeah, fun tomorrow, stuff. tomorrow fun morning. Patrick Gunn starts off with an article on Kevin Kiermeyer. Yep. So what do you think? What do you think about Kiermeyer? You know, it's interesting. If it was a one-year deal, I'd be like, hell yeah, right? Like, I'll take Kevin Kiermeyer. Um, had a really strong season last year. I think he hit, I'm just going to look it up. He's gonna, he hit 21 home runs last year, played some of the best defense in center field in the majors. He's a lefty. Um, my problem with Kiermeyer is I don't think he's going to be a one-year deal. Um, you know, if I look at, I'm going to go to the MLB trade rumors predictions. This is kind of my official, um, my official predictions, um, list right here. And if I look for Kiermaier two years, 26 million dollars is their prediction. Honestly, I think I might take that two years. 26 is not a bad deal. He's a better version of Harrison Bader. Essentially he's left-handed, but my problem is that I don't think Kiermaier solves problems for the Yankees. The Yankees have a hitting problem. Last year, he was a decent hitter and would have looked fine in the Yankees, but he's been very inconsistent throughout his career. He's been a very valuable player because he's such a such a great defender. He's going to go down as one of the best defenders of our era, and I think he deserves that. And he's a fun player. I really like Kiermaier. I think he's got a bit of an edge. He's got some experience with other organizations. He has played his entire career in the AL East. So I think there's good reasons to like Kevin Kiermaier, but I think that – Unless you get a deal on him, I wouldn't sign him. Someone's got to play center. And so, you know, if I think he's about as good as anybody I can imagine playing center. 
But if this is a three-year deal, no. Um, if it's a two-year deal, $36 million for two years, it's a pretty good deal. I'm just skeptical that he gets that low. Um, like, like we've been saying, and we're going to talk about Cody Bellinger in a minute. You mm. had a nice article on Bellinger the other day. But things don't have to go in order, of course. The, the, the offseason isn't going to go the way I want it to go in order. Yankees trade for Soto. Then the next day they sign Yamamoto. Then the next day they sign Lee. Then the next day they, you know, whatever. It's not going to happen that way. Things don't happen in that type of order. If Kiermaier, though, if there was such an order, or if it turns out this way in the end, is like the fourth guy they get because they've fixed third base and they've. Exactly. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And you go, yeah, that's great. My big fear is we're going to be sitting here in March and April going, well, over the winter, the Yankees got Kevin Kiermeyer, And, and in, in, in isolation, you go, well, they needed a center fielder. It's a, yeah. And they got a good deal on him. It's all right. But that's not changing the Yankees fortunes. I agree. Um, I, I think you said that perfectly. Right. I think that um, as the, as the, if the Yankees go out and get Juan Soto and they get Kevin Kiermeyer, like fine. Let's do like, I'm that, that sounds great to me. Um, I, I don't want them to rely on Kevin Kiermaier to be a top five hitter in their lineup. And I think right now, if they sign Kevin Kiermaier and don't do a lot else, he's like third leadoff hitter. And that's not good. I also note he's, he's injury prone. Um, like Harrison Bader, he's worse than Harrison Bader, frankly, you expect Kevin Kiermaier to get injured. Now he has been immensely valuable throughout his career, despite being very injury prone. He's a, I think his career war is at like 36, which is just nuts. And he's put up some four. He basically puts up like the best seasons Brett Gardner ever put up every single year, even if he's only playing 80 games. So I, I think there's a lot to like about Kiermaier. And if this was a less injury prone team, if they had more options to back him up in center, I would be much more enthusiastic about it. And again, if I woke up tomorrow morning and they signed him to a two-year deal, I think I'd be happy about that. Again, I want to watch Kevin Kiermaier. He's a fun player to watch. But I, I think there's there's a lot of flaws there. I would prefer a lower upside but more reliable player, like they trade for like a Dylan Carlson, who I think I mentioned before, you know, very, very average hitter. Not a guy you want in the top of your order either, but he's younger, he's cheaper, and is going to be on the field. All right. So tell us a little bit about Brendan Donovan. What's that? Sure, I'm going to sneeze in the middle of this. I'm going to apologize right, right now. Uh, Brandon right, Donovan. So, okay. Brandon Donovan, he is a, a utility guy out of St. Louis. Um, utility guy kind of by um, necessity. The St. Louis doesn't really need anyone in the infield. They have Nolan Arenado at third. They have Goldschmidt at second. They have Nolan Gorman at, se at second. So he, he's been playing there and, and around the outfield. He's been a very average defender pretty much wherever he's played. And he can hit. He's a left-handed hitter, and he has a really strong hitting record. He is young, I believe. Well, he's not young. He has he doesn't have a lot of service time. I believe he's 27 or 28. Um, and just looks like a, a really strong bench piece. He's a platoon player, so really, really strong against right-handed uh, pitching, very, very weak against left-handed pitching. And I just think he fits the Yankees like a glove. I think he's exactly the player they need. And right now, uh, the Cardinals have a surplus of, of hitters. They're going to have to get rid of probably one outfielder and maybe one outfielder and Donovan, um, or, you know, they have guys playing the bench who probably shouldn't be on the bench. They also desperately need pitching. And so I think I could imagine a Clark Schmidt, 
plus a couple of small things for Donovan or Carlson or both um, being a really interesting trade the Yankees undertake. Again, if that's a piece of the puzzle, my, my big worry is these, this is the whole puzzle. <laughs> Here you go. There you go. We got Brendan Donovan, Kevin Kiermeyer, And all right. So you wrote again, another piece about Alex Verdugo. Yeah for Glaber Torres. My, my initial feeling of this is for years, Brian Cashman or the analytic team, the small team, which doesn't matter in size, of course, um, for when the for gone for goo, I don't know. They, 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 they threw aside the logic that the Yankees need left-handed hitting. They need a balanced lineup and they went with all these right-handed sluggers. The idea is, well, they could hit the other way. And then we see them against great pitching, striking out all the time. And it was just, it was a bad idea from the start and it didn't work. This to me feels like he's saying, all right, yeah, we can't have all just big right-handed sluggers. So we need a lefty. So we'll get rid of a righty, Labor Torres, and we'll get a lefty, Alex Verdugo, even though Torres is better than Verdugo and it doesn't really seem to make any sense. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I mean, when I first heard the trade, you know, without really looking at the stats closely, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, uh, Yankees need an outfielder. Red Sox have extra outfielders. Yankees need a lefty. Verdugo's a lefty. They both have one year left before free agency. It, it was kind of one of those swaps that just kind of seemed like they made sense. But when you look and kind of dig into the numbers, Torres is just better than Verdugo. And it's not even really all that close. I honestly thought Verdugo was better than his numbers are. He's like a diet Andrew Benintendi. Doesn't hit for much power. He hits for average. He makes contact, but doesn't get on base a ton. You know, and doesn't play exceptional defense. Doesn't steal bases. He's just kind of a a, a barely serviceable full-time hitter. If he were a free agent or if the Yankees could trade for you know, him for not something that's not all that inconsequential, yeah, I think you could do worse than having Verdugo as your number nine hitter or your number eight hitter playing left field. You know, the Yankees are probably going to have to settle for someone like that at one of the three positions they need. But you don't weaken one of your stronger exactly. positions. Exactly. Right. Like, like you know, I, I don't have a problem with trading Glaber Torres. I mean, as long as you get something good. As long as you get, as long as you get make the team better by right. conducting the trade. And if it was a, th- you know, Glaber Torres is a three, maybe a little bit more than three if you're lucky center second baseman not a good defender but a really good hitter or a solid hitter um you know if you can make that trade and get uh, here's one named max kepler from the twins i would do that in a second right i, I think that makes sense because the yankees could have a surplus in the infield they could play lemayhew there probably be okay um and they need a left-handed hitter and they need an outfielder because right now they're playing nobody in, in left field um so you know they play jake bowers in left field I think a version of that trade makes sense, but I don't think this trade makes sense. And I also don't, don't think the Red Sox are going to give, trade anybody to the Yankees without getting significant major league value in return. Uh, maybe not Torres, but somebody else. And I just don't think, I don't think there's another, another trade that makes sense. Um, if whatever the athletics had for Dugo, I could imagine the Yankees working out a deal and him being their left fielder next year. But I just, I don't think this is happening. I don't see, think it is either. But if he did make it to the Yankees, he wears uniform number 99. So Verdugo becomes a Yankee, and then they give Judge another number. Is that what's going to happen? I'm just saying, you, you better be 6'8 if you're going to wear 99. <laughs> like, I, I don't like 90, like, like Sidney Crosby wears 99, who was the best prospect to come out of Canada ever. 
Um, Aaron Judge wears 99 because he is the biggest man to ever hit in Major League Baseball. Um, Alex Verdugo, I'm sorry, you're not a 99. No, you're you're like a 62, right? Like that 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 that's that's an Alex Verdugo number. Hey, here's an interesting little trivia, a little side sidebar here. Reggie Jackson, of course, wore 44 for the Yankees. Do you know what uniform number he wore entire his entire career before he came to the Yankees? Is it four? He wore nope. That's a good guess. He wore number nine, and he came to the Yankees, and that was Greg Nettles' number. He's like, no, nah, I'm nine, and that's when Reggie went to 44. Well, knowing that that the atmosphere in the Yankees, I wonder if if there was a, a an argument in there before he he acquiesced. So it could have been they they argued about everything. So, all right, my my worry about Cody Bellinger. You wrote another nice article about Cody Bellinger. My art my worry is, you know, I had a friend growing up, and we played with toys, you know, together growing up with little two, two kids. He was my neighbor. And, you know, we asked for the same stuff from Santa Claus at Christmas. And he always seemed to get the bigger versions of, of the toys. I always seemed to get the smaller versions and I was always happy until I went over to his house. and I saw what Santa brought him and I went home one year. It's probably five or six or something like that. And I asked my mom, I said, why does Santa like him more than me? <laughs> um, you know, it's just, you got something, but it's not quite what you'd hoped for. And I'm not, it, it, I'm trying to draw a crazy comparison. that's not really working the way I wanted to, but I just have this feeling that the eggs going to be like, yep, here you go. We're going to be better next year. We got Cody Bellinger. Told you we go big. I mean, uh, let me let me defend the Yankees a little bit. So here's what I wrote on my blog. So again, my official predictions are the MLB trade rumors predictions. And so I say, like, look, I mean, maybe I think the number is going to be different, but I'm going to make that judgment. And MLB trade rumors proposed, I think, an insane contract. For yeah, we talked about that last week. Definitely right? insane. Twelve years, two sixty-four. Just mm-hmm. not realistic. Now, Fangraphs came out and suggested six years, one fifty. And I think that's a deal. I think that's worth it. You could imagine there would be like a weird opt-out in there to make it a little more favorable for, to Bellinger. But $25 million per year for six years. Bellinger is going to be 28, so that'll take him through his age 34 season. He's still fast. He's still a good defender. I think he could do worse. And I think that he really, I mean, you know, absent, you know, if money wasn't an issue, if, you, if we didn't think about money, I think he solves a lot of problems for the Yankees. He's left-handed. He has a pull swing. He doesn't hit the ball very hard, but I think that could help him in Yankee Stadium. I think in Yankee Stadium, he could benefit by getting a lot of short porch homers. He's a good defender. He hits for average. I think he is a legitimate top-of-the-order hitter for the Yankees. Um, is he an MVP player? No. I think his his 2019 season was a juice ball season. I think that really kind of changed our, our expectations of him. But he even did used to hit the ball harder than he does now. So I, there might be a little bit of space left in him. Maybe he goes back to his 2021 to 2022 form and that would be disastrous. But also that's why he's, a, he's affordable at the price that Fangraphs is projecting. So it's a risky bet, but he's only 28 years old. So he's a little bit younger than some of the other guys in the team. He is a lefty. He has played in some big markets. He is a really good athlete who will probably be your center fielder for most of that contract. I think he makes a lot of sense. Again, I think if he's a piece, that's great. Sure. If he is the piece, I've got problems with it. 
So let me ask you the real big question here. Oh, uh, uh, Mike White, yeah, Bellinger is a winner too. I agree, right? Like, like he won a World Series, um, and he won a lot of games with the Dodgers. Like, I, I and he was a leader on those teams. So I, I don't think it's a crazy idea, but the price matters. Yep, I didn't see the comment. Sorry about that, Mike. What do the Yankees do if Soto's not available? I'm assuming if he's available, the Yankees get him. Like, like. I don't even know if that's realistic, but what do they do if they don't get him or if he's not available? How do you fix what? What's the big guy who can help fix this team? Where, where do you go? Who do you look for? I mean, it's tough, right? I mean, there's not the free agent market is not very strong, and where it is strong is pitching. There's a ton of pitchers out there. I think there's going to be a couple of pitchers out there that someone's going to get a deal on. So they could go Yamamoto. Um, Matt Sui is another another guy coming yeah, from lefty. Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as Matt Sui is a, a lefty pitcher, a, a, I think a closer. Um, so you can imagine that being really successful for the team. You can imagine them going after Lee from Korea, like we talked about. And, and I, I think that's the other route I would choose because they're all so young. Um, you don't have to fix the team this year with those guys; they'll contribute for a long time. Um, I don't. You know, there's some other names out there that you know, like a Matt Chapman, someone like that, that I just don't think, I don't think any of these guys really fit the Yankees very well. You know, we went through a lot of free agent pitchers, hitters, um, free agent uh, options last week. And I think as we kind of went down the list, you know, there was a couple of guys that made a little bit of sense, like a Heimer kind of Lario, but not really for the contracts that were being projected. And again, they're they're complementary pieces. Um, You know, I, if I if I were confident that the Yankees were willing to sell at the trade deadline, I might just say just roll the dice with what you have. Maybe get some of the young guys from Asia because they're 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 young and they can play for a while. But you know if it's not working out, then you sell Rizzo and you know you sell you know whatever. You know Arizona Bader was last year. Maybe maybe you know Garrett Cole. You know you could imagine acting like a normal team. And saying, you know, we have a roster that might be good. It might not be good. And if it's not good, we'll sell what's not nailed down and try to rebuild. I just don't have any confidence that that's, that's what they'll do, even if they are not looking great. And I don't have any confidence that the decision makers have it in them anymore to make great decisions. Like you know, if they're going to trade, the, the I, I just don't see them coming off with, good trades that, that are going to help the team. I mean, I, I'm not yet convinced. The problem is they haven't sold players in forever. So who the hell knows? Or who knows if they, if they have the ability to, to pull off those trades. The last time we had a major sell off was the 2016 season. And Brian Cashman did very well there. Mm, no. And in the end, he didn't. I mean, he got Glaber Torres. Um, you Clint know, like, Frazier. I mean, Clint Frazier didn't, you know, wasn't a success, but it was, it was, a. Uh, I don't think that was the trade's fault, if that makes sense. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they didn't give up a lot for, for those players. They gave up uh, Andrew Miller. Yeah. They gave so. up a Roldis Chapman who ends up, and you know, pitching they resi- the World Series. And they resigned. Yeah, but they weren't going to make the World Series. Correct, but, but 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 they got Justice Sheffield, who they turned over for James Paxton. That didn't work out. No, I but mean, that, that was a trade piece. I mean, like the I I don't ex- I don't think the Yankees are. I'll, I'll give you an example. We were talking about um, potential Juan Soto trade um, uh, options. One of the names was Nolan Arenado. The Colorado Rockies traded Nolan Arenado for nothing. Mm-hmm. Just look at the players they got from. They were never 
going to be successful. They never had been successful. They've done nothing since. That is not what happened with the Yankees at the 2016 trade deadline. And frankly, if you walk away from any trade deadline with Claybor Torres, I think you're you're successful. Um, and again, some of those other guys were traded for other pieces that were successful. Exactly. So McKinney was one of the guys they got, and McKinney was ended up, I believe, in another trade. Like again, I don't I don't think that's the problem. I I think the problem is that they're not they're not willing to do it. That they they don't have permission to trade guys at the deadline. So you could imagine the Yankees going out and getting I don't know, to the name a Reese Hoskins, a player who is a you know on a one year deal who's a reclamation project who might hit forty home runs and he might not do well, and then that team not being very successful, but Hoskins hitting well at the trade deadline and you trade him and flip him for something. That's a very typical strategy. I think Reese Hoskins is going to sign with a non playoff team who have the intention of flipping him at the deadline. That's a very normal situation. And I just don't think the Yankees have it in them to do that reliably. So that makes it hard to stand pat, right? It makes it hard to say, you know, we're just going to see, you know, hope that Rizzo comes back, that Judge is healthy, that LeMay who comes back, um, that the pitching staff, is, you know, come, that, 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 that uh, Rodon and, and Cortez come back and, uh, you know, make patch holes rather than make big changes. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced. I'm convinced that they need to do both. Right, they need to patch holes, and they also need to infuse the roster with some talent. I think the problem last year is that they first left a giant gaping hole in their roster, probably multiple giant gaping holes in their roster. If we're being honest, but at least one big one in left field. And then when a bunch of veterans were bad, and probably because of coaching reasons, some of them were bad. When you had guys like Harrison Bader, John, you know, they they played guys like Josh Donaldson, they played guys like Garen Hicks. Um, some guys got injured. They were already operating at a deficit. So I can guarantee you that some of the Yankee veterans aren't going to be good next year. And the question is, is do you have other players who can slot into their positions when LeMahieu has another injury or when Stanton is very, very bad and needs to be benched last year? Like, although I, we were yelling about it, like there was no way to bench Stan because you had no one to replace him. You had to play Stan in the outfield, not because you wanted to, but because you had no outfielders. And so to me, like step one is no replacement players, right? Like get, if it take, if you had to get three Verdugos to fill this roster out, you get three Verdugos. And then step two is to find at least one more high level talent to add to the roster, preferably a hitter who's a lefty. And that's why Soto makes a lot of sense. And I think Bellinger, frankly, makes a lot of sense too. If you had Bellinger as your 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 marquee acquisition, and you got a you know just name name names you know Heimer Candelario and Max Kepler, I think it's a really strong improved roster. What I'm concerned about is they get Alex Verdugo and Max Kepler, and you know pick a pick a, an okay but not great third baseman or something like that. Then you have a thin roster that can't take Aaron Judge breaking his foot on a wall, right for a month or can't take Anthony Rizzo having to miss time with a concussion or, or a mysterious injury. Instead, they play him because they feel like they have no other choice. Um, that's the kind of depth that I want to see. Ideally, that comes from young players, but I, I don't think you can rely on any of those, those guys, including Volpe, to be effective hitters next year. Maybe a couple of them make the roster out of spring training, but you know, until the Yankees can develop someone, I don't really think there's there's – there's any real hope there. I want Dominguez to be that guy. Um, and then that ended poorly. 
and it just tragically. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm one of the few people saying it. Everybody's making their predictions. He'll be back by June. He'll be back by May. He'll be back by July. He'll be back at the All-Star game. I'm saying, no, we don't know when he's coming back. And when he comes back, we don't know that he can play the well, outfield. Well, even if he does. And he's even ready to play. He needs to go to AAA and hit again. Well, even if, I mean, it. I assume he gets some rehab time. Even if he is successful on July 1st, you still need someone to help you win games for the first three months of the season. It doesn't solve your problems bringing him back a little bit earlier or a little bit later, right? It, it The problem is, is that the Yankees for the bulk of the season need a center fielder. And frankly, they need a second, they, they need a center fielder to back up Dominguez. They they just need depth. Which they and, have none of. And they have none, they, not only do they have none of, they are not developing cheap depth. You know, one, if you look at the Yankees roster resource page, one thing that strikes you is how few pre-arbitration players are on that page. Um, you know, you have the guys who were called up last year who aren't on this page because they're not, they're currently in the minors in the death chart. And then you have Ian Hamilton, Scott Efrost, and Anthony Volpe, and no other pre-arbitration players. Clark Schmidt just hit arbitration this year. He's going to cost $2.6 million. Um, Jake Bowers is going to cost $2 million. Mike King is going to cost $3 million. Jake Bowers at that price. That's just I, I mean, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, look, I think he's a fine bench player, but that sh- he should be the 25th guy in the roster, not a starting left fielder. Correct. So if they had to pay him $2 million, like, I don't think that's a big deal. They are going to cut some of these guys. They're going to cut Lucha Vino, who's getting paid four. Um, they're going to cut, you know, Kyle Kishioka is going to get traded probably. He's getting paid three. You know, there are there are options here that the Yankees have. Um, and I suspect that some of the young guys will replace guys on this roster, but they're already looking at a $241 million payroll next year. And the reason is not because they have some high price players in the roster. They have fewer high price players than the Dodgers have. They just have no young cheap guys. That's correct. And they have, they've, yeah, exactly. And they've made bad financial decisions. They like, the Donaldson stuff. Now he's not there anymore, but they just, they give contracts and they, they, they buy contracts or trade for contracts from other teams. It just, it, the whole thing doesn't make sense, but they owe Donaldson $6 million next year. Oh my God. They owe Aaron Hicks $10 million next year. There you go. 16 million for guys who, yeah. anyway, ah, uh, I'm going to give you a big quiz here. We're going to finish this off with a crazy quiz. You don't like baseball trivia so much because this is, I give you impossible questions, but anyway, Gunnar Henderson's the rookie of the year. He is um, the 13th unanimous winner in American League history. So I'm going to see if you can name the other 12. You ready? Thank you. Yeah, this is terrible. (laughs) I need clues. I need some clues here. I'll give you clues. Give me me a clue for the most recent one. Nobody can do this. When was the most recent one? What year? Oh, 2020. His initials are KL. I I don't remember that season at all. Kyle Um, Owens. Oh, yeah. No no way. All right. And the, the next one before that was 2019. Still playing today, a big time power hitter. What position? Um, I believe he was a first, is a first baseman, outfield first base, DH type. His initials are YA. I was about to say Guerrero Jr., but no. Um, YA. Man, I don't know. I, uh, I'm bad at this. All right, Jordan. Jordan Alvarez won rookie of the year. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. All right, the next one you have to get. He um, played for the New York Yankees in right field, war number 99. 
That would be Aaron Judge. Yeah. Okay. So you got that not, one. Not a hard rookie of the year case that year. Yeah. <laughs> Should have been the MVP. Yeah. Uh, the next one was 2014 with the White Sox, a first baseman, big right handed hitting. Jose Abreu. You see, now you got it. The next guy's a center fielder on the um, California Angels. The California Angels. Oh, no. The, the Los, I couldn't get Los Angeles. Oh, that would be Mike Trout then. There okay, you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The next guy was a Yankee killer. He played third base for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's still around somehow. Oh, I was about to say Jose Bautista, but you said the Rays. The Rays. He's still around. Plays third base. Killed Evan, the Yankees. Evan Longoria. That is correct. The next guy was, now we're going back to 1997, was the Red Sox equivalent of, yeah, you'll get this, Red Sox equivalent of Derek Jeter. And he ended up being be much, Noma. Noma. 1996, it was a Yankee. And yeah. 1996. It was Derek Jeter. There you go. 1993, a very good outfielder for the California Angels. I think there were the California Angels back there. And it, his career was good, not great. His initials were T.S. And his last name was the type of a fish. Yeah, nothing. Tim. Salmon. He won. <laughs> he won Rookie of the Year of unanimous. I did not know that. <laughs> he, he was. He was a Yankee killer too. Yes, he was. Anybody on the Angels after? Oh yeah. The, oh the yeah. That, that Angels team was our nemesis. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So before that, it was 1990. There's only a couple more. He's a catcher. Uh, his brother also played. His brother's actually in the Hall of Fame. His father was a Yankee who played second base in the 1970s. In fact, he was named for his father. He's a junior. He played for the Cleveland Indians. Hit a big home That's run true. off. A big hit a big home run off Mariano Rivera to end the 1990. Well, it didn't end. Oh, it. the 97. Yeah. Team? Um, was that Pudge? No, it wasn't Pudge. Last name. I'll give you the initials S A Junior. And his brother is Sandy Alomar. That is correct. Only catcher. I didn't know, didn't know that. I thought he was a second baseman. Okay. <laughs> no, his brother was. All right. So the oh, next guy, okay. Roberto. The next guy was a first baseman who once hit a bunch of home runs and was with against Sammy Sosa in a home run chase many Mr. years McGuire. later. That's it. And the only other unanimous winner was in 1972. It was Thurman Munson's biggest nemesis. He was the catcher on the Red Sox. I have no idea. Oh, went to the White Sox. When he was a Red Sox, he wore number 27. With the White Sox, he wore number 72. He turned the numbers around. Thurman Munson's biggest enemy of all time out of New Hampshire, I believe he grew up and, and represented New Hampshire forever. Carlton Fisk. Oh, okay. There we go. In my head, I, I was saying Steve Carlton in my head. There we go. Yeah, there well, you go. I didn't do bad there. I was pretty pretty happy with my performance. Not bad. I'll, I'll, I just found a book. I don't. I, I can't hold it up in front of me because I don't have it at my side here. It's called The Wax Pack, I believe. If you remind me, I'll bring it next week and show you the cover. It's a story of a guy who, you wrote this about three or four years ago, started becoming a baseball fan around 1986, remembers his first pack of baseball cards he ever bought. And he says, you know, I love that 86 set. I'm going to go find a random pack of 1986 tops unopened and open it. And then I'm going to go find these baseball players and meet them all. 
And so the story is about him opening this pack of baseball cards from 1996 and somehow meeting all these different guys. I'm on That's chapter cool. three. Pretty cool. His first guy he met was Rance Mullenix, who played for the Blue Jays. The next guy he met was Steve Yeager, who was a Dodger. And now I'm up to the chapter where he meets Gary Templeton, but I don't know what happens. But Steve Yeager, who won the 1981 World Series MVP, I think with Pedro Guerrero. I don't know who he shared it with, but it, it might have been him. In the 1981 World Series when the Dodgers beat the Yankees, Steve Yeager um, owns a Jersey Mike's, or at least he did when the book was published. <laughs> That's what he was doing. Like, I'm going to meet him at Jersey Mike's because he owns it. He owns a Jersey Mike's franchise in California. So it's a kind of a quirky little book, and it's yeah, so right. far it's been pretty good. So I, I have nothing else for you today, EJ. We, we do have a, a comment from Angelo at the start of the show. Okay. Uh, um, he asked, uh, if Howell decides to keep payroll under the highest luxury tax threshold, can the New York still sign Yamamoto Bellinger and trade for Soto? My answer is no. Yeah, I don't um, think so. The Yankees already are at $241 million. If they get rid of um, Torres and Trevino and a few others, they could probably lower that by about $25 million. But Yamamoto, Bellinger, Soto. Soto is himself going to be worth 30 uh, after arbitration. He's going to set the record for the arbitration award. Um, Bellinger, 25. That's $55 million. Yamamoto, another 30. 25, yeah. Or something. 30, at least a lot. Um, you're talking about adding... $80 million to a $240 million payroll that you can at most cut $20 million off of. So unless they have some way of getting out of some of their other big commitments, like, like Giancarlo Stanton or DJ LeMahieu, um, I think that they are looking at a $300 million payroll signing two of those guys, let alone three. My other concern with the press conference is how Steinbrenner has repeatedly said over the years, we don't need to have a $300 million payroll. And when you dig yourself into a deep hole, yeah. you probably do. Um, yeah, the only I agree way to get that. out of yeah. it. If if you want to compete, if if, if they uh, want, or to you fun. just develop young players, like that's that's an option. Oh, absolutely! Um, no, no, no. I'm I, in in you're a hundred percent right on that. I'm saying for the Yankees in 2024, the only way to dig themselves out of this hole right now to be competitive next year is they're gonna have to spend a lot of money. I agree, and I think you know the, the they do have some money coming off the payroll soonish. Um, but not right away. Like, I don't think any of their big contracts are coming off neck at the end of this year. Um, a lot of their arbitration guys will get more expensive as well. So, you know, they're, they're kind of, they, they've made some bad decisions there and they're going to pay for it. I think the next, unless Garrett Cole were to leave, um, you know, the next, you know, the next real money to come off the payroll is LeMayhu after 2026. Mm. I mean, that's, that's tough. And again, you're going to have to find a left fielder, a center fielder, a third baseman. You're going to have to pay guys to advance through arbitration. Um, you know, there, there's not there's not an easy way to get out of this without spending a lot of money. And, you know, if the Yankees want to maintain their brand, I think they got to spend the money. I do, too. Well, EJ, we, we did it. Another great hour of Yankee talk, baseball talk. Brilliant dialogue from two of the smartest guys at least on this show. Thank you, EJ, for another wonderful episode. Thank you, Mac, for doing the behind-the-scenes work. And everybody, thanks for watching. And we will see you again next Monday at 9 p.m. Let's go Yankees.